cock is a metaphor. It's a double entendre. Um, a cock is a rooster. And if anybody ever grew up on a farm, they you know roosters, um, they're powerful. They're beautiful. Their plumage is amazing. They, they really strut their stuff. They, they look after their flock. They'll get into cock fights. Like they can kill. Like they, they get, they're really powerful energy. Like if we can get past our little notion of, oh, chicken is just a little cluck, cluck animal and actually allow ourselves to look at the archetypal energies of that, um, that being. Roosters are amazing. They're crow. You can hear for miles away. You want to talk about having a clear voice that rings true? loud and clear for miles like that is a powerful metaphor Welcome back to another episode. I am pleased to have with me today, Christopher Lovestone, who is a sex educator and author of Conscious Cock, a new book that I'm really excited about and I think has been receiving glowing praise. So um, thank you for being on the podcast. I'm so happy to be here and I'm so happy that you do this podcast because like there's so much sex negativity and shame and guilt in our culture about these topics that these are uncommon conversations, but having a podcast is a nice safe place for a person to listen to explore these concepts and safety. So like, Oh my God, thank you for doing the podcast. And thank you for having me on the show because I get censored left and right with this material, like Amazon, NBC, CBS, Fox, like Google, Facebook, everybody just wants to censor me. So, but like you, you said, yeah, I'll take you on the show. Definitely. And you know, you can swear, you can say whatever you want. I can relate. I've definitely had posts of mine shut down on Facebook and Instagram. I've been flagged. You know, there's a lot of uh, truth in the adage that in our culture, violence is okay, but sex is not okay. So you wouldn't be flagged for certain violent material or rhetoric, but you would be flagged once the word, even just the word sex or sexuality is involved, let alone a book called Conscious Cock. <laughs> getting that. Yeah. So I, I admire your bravery in putting it out there because we need, we need more of that. And a lot of, yeah, just, um, shame eradication for mm -hmm. everyone, including penis owners. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. So you have a really interesting background. And one of the things that jumps out is that you survived six divorces as a kid. And I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about your childhood background and how that informed your choices later in life. Yeah, I say I survived six divorces because there was so much pain. There was so many fights. There was so much abuse in all the different ways, financial, emotional, verbal, physical, that it was just living in a war zone for my entire childhood. And if it wasn't my mother in relationship with her current partner, it was a divorce with uh, her um, partner going, how do I say this? There was a lot of cheating involved, right? So, and people were doing what we call nowadays serial monogamy, going from one relation to another, but also cheating. And then that, that other relationship would go through a, a divorce because of the cheating, and then they would get together. So it was just this constant battlefield that I grew up in. Um, and I just, I saw how people could want to succeed with each other, could hope and wish, could make vows till death do us part. I mean, the, oh, and, and sickness and in health, what, what beautiful vows. But then three years in, four years in, ships passing in the night, despite their best efforts, just hating each other, blaming each other, lashing out, and then just how horrible people can be in divorce when they start lying, you know, and just using the legal system. It just, just, just the worst. It, it, it could bring out the worst in people. Um, so that was my whole childhood, you know, and I, 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 but I read science fiction, which is an interesting thing. Reading was my escape. 
So reading science fiction was interesting because it allowed you to change your, your mind in, in a way that could allow you to embrace expanded concepts that you don't see around you. Thank God I had that. Thank the Lord. I had something that allowed me to think bigger, think different. Um, so I, I started thinking, I want something different. I want something better. I want to be in a successful long-term relationship that's, that's hot, that is sexy, where we're best friends and we're engaged, but we're not doing these patterns of dysfunction and, and treating each other so horribly. So I, I set out at an early age, literally at puberty, to start learning everything I could about the human body, about our sexual anatomy and physiology, about communication tools, about relationship strategies, about communi- anything I could find, just a sponge my entire life. I'm going to break this cycle. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to achieve this in my own life. So it was a personal thing that I wanted to have a hot, juicy, lovey, loving, sexy, engaged, long-term successful relationship for myself. And that, but then as I've learned the skills necessary to achieve that, I thought, man, this is what all these guys out there that I see in the world struggling and paralysis, hashtag me too era, like, like on one hand, they're, they're told, oh, your masculinity is the cause of all problems. And on the other hand, the women are telling them, I want to feel your, your sexual power. And they're like, I don't know what to do. I don't want to be called a misogynist or male supremacist or chauvinist or dick, you know, like. How do they exit that paralysis? Well, it's hard, (laughs) but I figured it out for myself a way that works for me. And I'm an educator and I systematized it and wrote this book to like communicate a way that I think is a good foundation starting point for guys to be able to do it. I know that's long-winded, but it's a rich topic. Yeah. I love what you said about the, the desire for more that one of the drivers for you was, I want more. I know this is not the model for relationship. There was something within you that, that told you, even though that was the model that you were seeing repeatedly, there's something better than this. There's gotta be something better than this. And I want it because I think that that inherent longing or yearning or drive is powerful. And it's something that can be a North star, even when you don't know exactly how to get there that that's the fuel in the engine of, I want something else. I want something better than this. I want something more. And I've had multiple friends and clients who've said that they could sense even at five years old, these people are fucking it up. I know there's a different, there's a better way to do relationship than this. And I don't know if that's a soul calling or what it is, but I'm, I'm so curious to hear from you about just your own journey briefly starting at puberty, reading, learning, being a sponge, all of that. Did that translate into, you know, the first relationship you got into was super healthy and everything was, was good and it was easy or was it more of a journey? And what, what, what are just a few of the milestones along the way for you in that journey towards consciousness? (laughs) Thank you for asking. No, I have not always been successful. I, I know I, at 18, I went away. And went to the big city and got into the university and was on my own for the first time and could actually have a relationship for the first time and dove into relationships and sexuality. Um, but I only knew how to have sex in the context of, of a loving, committed relationship. That's all I'd ever seen. So that's what I did. But I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to do it right. And I just repeated the patterns I'd grown up in and I was cheating and I was lying to get my desires and needs met, which was, I want intimacy. I want sex. I want love. I want touch. Um, but I didn't know how to do it right. So I broke hearts in college. And, and when I finally got my heart broken, that's when the aha moment happened. That's when the light came on. That's when things changed for me. And I said, no, ah, I'm doing all that stuff I don't want to do. Even though I was thinking I could do it differently, I wasn't actually doing it differently. I was repeating everything that I'd seen my entire childhood. So I had a big shift around 27, 28, 10 years in to relationships. And I said, I I took two years off. I was just celibate. I just had a relationship with myself and really got to know myself. And and that was the most beautiful thing because I, I became so full. 
I was no longer desperate and looking for somebody else, air quotes, to complete me, like the Hollywood metaphor. But I just became full in myself. I didn't, I got to the point where I didn't need or want a relationship or a woman. I'm heterosexual. Um, and it's the most fabulous little thing happened that, that the moment that I arrived to this place of fullness in myself, the moment I didn't care if I had a relationship ever again, you want to call it the universe, you want to call it God, you, you know, you want to call it divine timing, fate. But that's when the love, big love of my life, biggest love of my life walked in my door. She's now my wife. We're 16 years in and our relationship is what I always wanted. It was it's the moment I didn't need it anymore was the moment it showed up in my life. How poetic is that? I couldn't have planned that, but that's how it worked out for me. Anyway, so it's it's been the container that I've gotten to learn in and practice this gift that I've learned to give myself of integrity. Yeah, I appreciate that sense of growing into yourself and becoming becoming enough for yourself. And I'm curious, you know, did you sort of just come to that on your own? Did you have mentors? Like how did you do those two years of growing? Was that just self-study? Like how did that happen? And then I'm imagining if you could just walk us through the early years in your relationship, you probably worked through a lot with your partner. And again, was that all just on your own or did you two work with anyone? How did that work? I wish I had had somebody to work with or had had the gumption or knowledge to look for somebody. But no, I read this book called Callings. It was an inch thick. It was solid, really meaty, heavy material. I could only ever go through a chapter at a time. It took me a year to get through it all. But um, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to be a medical doctor. I'm going to going to the healing professions and allopathic medicine. I had my life kind of planned out for me, but I had to find something that was an authentic fit for me, not just fulfilling what I thought my mom wanted me to do um, or my friends, my family and stuff like that. So I was really soul searching. I was really just in the mix and no, I didn't have guidance. I didn't have mentors and I didn't have anybody to copy. I didn't have a role model to copy. I've never had a man that I looked up to and said, I want to be like him. So it was really, it was a hard path for me. And I experienced it as a difficult path to try to create my own version of, of manness or masculinity when I couldn't copy anybody, but that's okay. I just, I tuned into what I really wanted and uh, let that be my compass and um, determine that I'm just going to have a relationship of honesty. I'm just going to be upfront and honest, even if it's uncomfortable, but I'm not going to be a jerk. I'm going to try to solicit her reality and uh, her voice, her, what do they say? Voice and choice. Um, right. So that we're both actively choosing our relationship, not playing these predefined roles and um, just staying engaged, like active dance partners. Even when we got married, we stayed engaged after being married. Like we never, stopped being engaged with each other. And I mean the metaphor of active engagement energetically with each other, the give and the take, the being dance partners with each other. Because a lot of times people, you know, they stop being engaged when they get married and they kind of just fall into this pattern. And then one day one of them wakes up and goes, what are we doing? Where are we? Like, I, I've changed. This isn't satisfying to me anymore. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, that word engagement, which, you know, you're not talking about being fiancés, but actually engaging right. in the relationship. And I've, I've noticed, I think that gets even more challenging when children are involved because it's easy to fall into the exchange of transactions. I'll do this. You do that. We're running a household together. We're raising kids together. I think it's easy for the relationship to become secondary and that is problematic, right? When that starts to happen, then people's emotional or intimacy needs aren't being met. And I think that there's, there's relationship breakdown that can happen in a moment with a big conflict, but there's also relationship breakdown that happens over time where it's just eroding and it's not, it's not being cultivated. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear if you are willing to share any sort of big insights or ways that you, you and your partner found to work together to stay engaged or was it just both of you came to play and there was never a conversation that needed to be had about 
us paying attention to each other and what we have. Well, no, it's a definite commitment to, to keeping a healthy dynamic relationship. It's like caring for a child. Like our relationship is a child that we have to care for in addition to the child that we actually have. Um, and if we don't make a night to have a date alone and go somewhere to a hotel at least once a year, like we suffer, we suffer. Where do, where do, where can we set the, the worries and concerns, the, the weights from our shoulders down? Well, it takes getting out of the house. It takes getting out of the place where there's dishes to do, bills to pay, everything's cluttered. You know, we got things that we wish we'd accomplish, but we never get to. It takes literally exiting that physical environment and getting to a place where we can reconnect with each other for each other, which means not having the child, not having the dog around, you know, et cetera. So like we have done conscious maintenance, even if it's just one night a year. And we've also been honest about what we want, what we don't want, what's working, what's not working. Like, I'm not afraid to tell her to go fuck herself or go fuck off. Like, just to, to be honest, like, if, 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 like, I don't, if something's not working, we can tell each other off, but we always come back to the fact that we care about each other and I don't want to hurt her. Um, so there, there's a genuine empathy. It's not faked. Like, we, we really, care for each other's feelings without trying to caretake the other person and uh, tiptoe around their triggers all the time. So it's not easy, <laughs> but the rewards are amazing. And so we've spent a lot of time focused on each other. A lot of people don't do that. They spend more time with everything else, or you could say, take their exits. Um, but for both of us, we both actively want our relationship to be deeply fulfilling with each other. So that's kind of a core foundational concept. If there's a mismatch in that desire for a couple, then one person can do all the work that they can do. And the other person that might not land or might not reciprocate in a balanced manner. Uh, so we're lucky in that we both want that, but it also is an active choice. And we set up those dates. <laughs> Sometimes it takes months to plan a single night off because life is so full, but the value is absolutely sky high. Yeah, I appreciate that, especially the the sense of, of commitment to the partnership. And I think I know I have plenty of clients where I think they were trying really hard with their partner and their partner just didn't want to do it. They just didn't want to grow. They didn't want to look at their stuff. They didn't want to look at the stuff that was between them. I was just talking to a client the other day who said they went to couples therapy and because an incident, an incident had happened and his, his wife got so triggered during the session that the counselor said, you need to get individual therapy. You need to get trauma therapy. And she wouldn't do it. She didn't want to do it. She didn't want to be told what to do. She didn't want to be told that she was somehow doing something wrong. I think maybe she interpreted it as there's something wrong, rather there's, there's something here that needs to be explored, or there's a way that you need to grow to be in healthy partnership. And so she never went and their relationship kind of devolved from there. But I hear that a lot from clients of, you know, yeah, that mismatch that you just spoke to of this person wants to grow and this person is not interested. Not everyone is interested. And I think that's something that as a person who is interested and cultivates relationships with other people who are interested in growing, it's always a little bit of anathema to me to remember, right. There are people in the world that don't want to do it <laughs> and you know, more power to them. I respect their choice. Um, but I think it is an important thing to highlight if you're listening to this and you are in a partnership or a relationship where you just feel like no matter what you do, you're not being met and you don't feel like your partner is, is doing anything for the growth of the relationship, you might be right. <laughs> you know, it, that is a thing that happens. There is a genuine mismatch in growth-oriented people versus not, and you're not crazy. So just to, to name that explicitly. Um, I do want to shift gears a little bit because I'm very interested in how you, you then became a sex educator and author. And, you know, you mentioned a little bit of seeing essentially a gap of you know, what I picked up on was, yeah, there wasn't someone to copy for you. There wasn't a, a role model of masculinity, healthy masculinity, healthy divine masculine that is owning his power and also empathetic 
you know, we, we don't have a lot of those role models around. I think we are becoming them. <laughs> There's a way that the, there are, there are people around now. And I don't think that there necessarily were that many before. So I'm curious how that, you know, sort of shifted. Where did you, you know, when did you realize that healthy sexuality was going to be part of your calling? Speaking of the book callings. Maybe that was a it was it was my whole life on the line. It was my entire identity. It was thirty five years of work to 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 get to that point. And I was planning on going to medical school, and I was working in all these different facilities from mental health to sexual health to primary care uh, to the ER to to just get ex- experience in in medical care to to try to find out what do I want to specialize in. But the more time I spent in medicine, the more I realized I don't want to be in that system. Third-party billing, the rape of the middle class, just the profiteering, the corporate hospitals for profit model, like the whole thing. I just, I just, ah, I recoiled from it. Um, but I, I loved my time in family planning, and um, I, I just loved being front care, frontline care, and. Um, so I got so fed up with the whole thing, <laughs> the rat race, the whole model that I, my wife and I, we said, let's sail away and let's just leave the rat race behind. Let's just go. I was working 50, 60 hours a week, putting 5,000 miles a month on my car. It was just ridiculous the amount of work I was doing and, and um, living a life that was inauthentic. So I didn't know where I was going to end up, but I knew that I didn't like what I had. So we literally bought a sailboat, sold everything that we could sell. We didn't know how to sail, but we got on the boat and we started heading south to New York City down the Hudson River. And then, you know, we're like, oh my God, what do we do? It's cold. We kind of missed the summer. And anyway, we sailed away and we didn't know where we were going to end up, didn't know anything, but we just knew we wanted some adventure. And um, on that pathway of sailing... I was doing this deep investigation. I'm like, what's my role in life? What's my calling? What's my purpose here? Who the hell am I? And what kept coming up for me is like, I need to talk about relationships and sex. I have to talk about this. This is passion for me. And I'm good at it. I'm an excellent. I went to school to become a teacher. And then I was going to go to med school. So I advanced human anatomy and physiology and curriculum development and, and instructional design, all these things I'm really good at. So I just synthesized like what works for me, what I think the average guy needs to, to know in order to have a chance at success um, in the modern world, not like 20 year old communication technology or 40 year old communication technology. Um, but like what works in the modern world with a modern woman, right? Like hello, 60, 80 years of feminism here. Like we live in a different landscape than our grandparents did. Um, so it took a long time for me to accept that I wanted to talk about sex and relationships. <laughs> I was like, what am I, what are you, I'm going to be crazy to talk about this stuff. Nobody does that. Like I grew up with a lot of shame and oppression and repression, but I overcame that by just getting my fingers on the keyboard and starting to write. And just the outline came out. If I want to take a guy from point A to success, like what do, what do they need to to know to get from here to there. So it came out to like five things. Number one was installing some upgrades, like changing some of our perspectives and mindsets and beliefs that are out of date and they don't work in the modern world. And then number two, understanding women, because guys are confused. They don't understand how she works, how she receives intimacy. They don't understand her menstrual cycle, how she processes emotions and fears. And three, modern sex ed, not don't have sex, just say no sex ed, not like birth control um, and STI education. No, but pleasure-based sex education that maps the internal erectile tissues of the yoni or the vulva, um, the internal structure of the clitoris, the A spot on the front side of the cervix, like the, the, the erectile tissue in front of the anus, like these hot spots. And if guys don't know about them, how are they going to be empowered to be an excellent, exquisite lover? If you don't have a roadmap, good luck not getting lost. Right. And then four intimacy tools, communication tools to stoke the heat in your relationship. Cause if you don't keep the fire going, if you don't feed it and make sure there's a balance of like wood and air, like if it's not balanced, like it's going to go out, it's going to dwindle, it's going to diminish. 
And then last, sex technique. <laughs> How to actually do it. The different things. That's what all the guys want to know. I want to last longer in bed. Well, you know, I'll teach you that. But you got to learn these other things first in order to like be worthy of wielding those that exceptional power. Anyway, so like these things were all inside of me. I'd learned them myself through 20, 30 years of study. And I just had to get them out and provide something. It was just desperate in myself. Like this has to go to the world. No one's helping the average guy. Like everybody, oh, there's so many empowered women. There's so many sisterhood gatherings and there's so much uh, female sexuality empowerment work going on. And, and uh, feminism has gotten such traction over the last 60 years, you know, but who's helping the average guy who's just been emasculated, whose power has been bottled and suppressed. Like ah, nobody's helping. They're just being like bad mouthed and told that they're part of the problem. And Somebody has to help them. I was that, but I've found a way to get out of that and actually bring my power to bear without being a jerk and have an egalitarian relationship. So I don't know. It's my own personal unfolding into like what is pa I'm passionate about. My entire life has been lived in this, um, and I've figured out a way through the maze. Uh, so part of it was me systematizing it, but part of it is also making an offering to the world. Like, so it's my own personal journey, but it's like, and I live this every single day and now I'm a father and I get to teach my son who's sitting right next to me while I'm doing this podcast. Like I'm not afraid for him to hear this information. Um, but like, what's our way forward to a better world? If we can't help guys to exit this paralysis and find their power, but without being a jerk. Yeah. I, I like that perspective because I hear that from a lot of my clients that one of their one of their biggest fears is making her uncomfortable or coming across as a jerk, or they don't want her to feel used. They don't want her to feel upset. And so a lot of their choices come from a little bit of caretaking, like you said, yeah. of trying to do it right, trying to do it right, trying to get it right. And there's so much energy and attention around that, that sometimes they're, they're not really owning their desires and they're not really owning what they want in part because they don't know how to do that without being a jerk. It's sort of yeah. like, if I really, yeah. you know, say what I want, go after it, it's going to come across as awful. And I, I kind of want to validate that fear and, and experience. I was struck by, I recently did a podcast where we were reflecting on dating abroad and I'm not a man who has sex with women. I'm a woman who has sex with men. So my experience abroad was as a woman having sex with men, but this guy was, was hetero and he was talking about his experience. And he said, yeah, the, the, the bad reactions in the U S are worse. The, the, the bad reactions abroad, not as bad. If, if the woman's not interested, if something happens, it's just not as bad. Whereas there is, there is a lot of shaming and a lot of um, pervert alert, right. Of just, creep factor that there's a lot of, there is a lot of shaming of men in, in North America, I think in a way that isn't necessarily true in other places. So I think that, that some of that fear is well-founded for men and there are real risks in owning their desire and it going poorly, you know, whether that's at a bar restaurant or, you know, with someone at the same company, right. It's, it's like the, the risks are real and it's, it's something that I think is on the hearts of a lot of men. So I think it's, it's very well said what you said of how do I be an empowered man and not be a jerk? <laughs> That's mm -hmm. a real question. Um, and I think that, you know, what you mentioned of like updated beliefs and, and then just sort of knowing your way around sexuality specifically, there was a couple of things you mentioned, which was stoking the fire, which is what's happening in the connection between us and technique. Do I know how to have sex well? Which I think many listeners might not know this, but in, in the United States, I don't know about Canada, but in the US, you are not allowed to teach about pleasure and sex ed in school. It is mandated. You cannot teach about pleasure in public, uh, public schools. I think private institutions are different, but I think that's a great reflection of what you said of outdated models where not only are we not going to tell you about it, but we are going to gag the, the educators. We're going to gag if, if I were, because I've been talking to some people about sex ed in schools and I'm not willing to go into a place where I can't talk about pleasure, which limits 
where I can go and what I can say. And I think that's an indication of the level of consciousness that our culture is at around sex and sexuality, right? We, you know, mentioned the the big online institutions aren't comfortable with sex. You know, they're going to limit you and censor you even if what you're talking about isn't pornography. And I think there's there's a way that there's a way that they're trying to come from a good place of limiting something like misogynistic porn from having a bigger platform, but it's limiting everyone. And I think there's a cultural element to that that isn't always owned. So yeah, I'm curious in your experience writing a book called Conscious Cock, uh, <laughs> um, you know, how it was writing that and you know, what you, what you feel like you got out of writing it and what you feel like it, it offers to, to, to readers, because you have, you have readers now you've gotten feedback. You've, you've gotten, you know, for example, a question I have is, are you finding that many of the men reading it are already in relationship or are they single looking to get in relationship? Who's reading it and what are they using it for? Well, I would consider myself a teacher at long-term relationship skills. Um, I don't, I'm not a dating coach. Uh, pickup artistry turns me off. Like I'm not teaching guys skills at picking up someone at all. No, but if you want to succeed in long-term relationship, that's hot and sex positive. All right, here's a toolkit. Um, so I just wanted to make that differentiation. Now, a lot of guys will read my book and they're not in a relationship, but the ones who love what I'm doing are the ones who want a long-term relationship. Some humans don't. They 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 just want hookups or you know no attachments, etc. Um, but cock is a metaphor. It's a double entendre. Um, a cock is a rooster, and if anybody ever grew up on a farm, you know roosters. Um, they're powerful. They're beautiful. Their plumage is amazing. They, they really strut their stuff. They, they look after their flock. They'll get into cockfights. Like they can kill. Like they, they get, they're really powerful energy. Like if we can get past our little notion of, oh, chicken is just a little cluck cluck animal and actually allow ourselves to look at the archetypal energies of that, um, that being. Roosters are amazing. They're crow. You can hear for miles away. You want to talk about having a clear voice that rings true? loud and clear for miles, like that is a powerful metaphor. So it, as an archetype, a cock is a symbol of masculinity. And I looked for years to find a symbol for masculinity that I liked, not Captain America or Superman or something from Marvel comics. No, something that I, I liked, but not just being cocky, not just being the rooster strutting and stuff, but, but bringing consciousness to that. And all I mean by consciousness is not playing tired patterns that were programmed into us, not doing the same thing our dad did. That's all I mean is just choosing a different thing. I don't mean meditating every day. Um, just there's the whole consciousness movement. And that's not what I'm talking about. I just mean not repeating unconscious patterns. Um, so, and women will say, I like a confident man. They like that cockiness. But if you can do it without being a jerk, without being inconsiderate, without being egotistical and self-centered, then that's the true, the true power there to be conky, or cocky and, and confident and considerate and a good communicator, but not let her walk all over you like a doormat. Like that's, that's powerful stuff right there. Um, but yeah, I get censored because I use the word cock, but you know, we don't have any words of reverence for the penis in our language. We have derogatory terms like dick. We have medical terms like phallus or penis, but we don't have any words of reverence. In other languages, namely Sanskrit comes to mind, there is a word of reverence because sex can be considered divine uh, in their culture. So lingam or vajra uh, are words for the penis, but they're words of reverence. Yoni, uh, word for the vulva for a woman, but it's, it's not derogatory and it's not medical. So anyway, Cock, like we can de-trigger it a little bit, you know, like, like, like not making it, oh, that's such a swear word. Well, is it? It's actually a rooster. There's, there's a reason why we're using the word cock because you're cocky, right? Like, anyway, so, but I've gotten censored because of that word, because our cultural shame against our genitals, we can't even talk about them unless it's medical, even then. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I we were chatting a little about the book before we started, and I'm wondering if you can sort of share a bit about the, because it's a bit interactive. You know, there are worksheets and there's guides and there's diagrams, so it's not just a bunch of words. I'm wondering what if if there have been any themes in terms of readers saying, "Wow, this section really spoke to me," or "This I got a lot out of this worksheet." What are some of the 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 parts of the book that you feel like, I mean, you, you did mention sort of sex techniques, right. That a lot of men might want to jump there. Um, so I'm just wondering, you know, what, what is the feedback that you've been getting and what are some parts that you're, that you're proud of? Okay. Um, guys tend to love the yes, no, maybe uh, worksheet, which is a list of sexual activities or erotic activities or intimate activities. Um that a lot of people like in their lives, like, I don't know, shower together or a bath with rose buds or rose petals or anal sex or a threesome, whatever it might be. It's just a list of sexual activities, but then three columns and you fill out a copy and you give your partner a copy and it helps bring some new ideas into your relationship or stimulate some discussion about maybe expanding your sexual repertoire and portfolio together. Maybe you don't if you never have the conversation, you might not know that your partner has the same idea on their sexual bucket list that you do, but you never talked about it. So this, this worksheet, you just check all the ones that you want to do it before you die in the yes column, the ones you don't want to do in the no column. And maybe if certain needs were met, you check the maybe column and you just compare notes. It's great for spicing up your relationship in the COVID lockdowns. Like, hey, I didn't know that you'd be interested in that too. Or maybe you're both a maybe to something. So, hey, great. Have a funny conversation, a lighthearted conversation about what would the needs be that if you met those needs, then you'd both feel comfortable doing that thing. Oh, maybe blindfolding me or tying me up, you know, who knows, whatever it might be for you. Um, And then there's another worksheet in the back, which is uh, the female pleasure map, which is great. It's a image of... Uh, the vulva, the yoni uh, between a woman's legs, and it's just, it's just it's just a drawing. But then you have a conversation with your with your your partner, and you ask her, "How do you like to be touched?" Like when you're unaroused, and just like the first initial touches, like, and then you just draw on it, like, "Oh, maybe like an arrow up my thigh, like back and forth, like tracing." Or maybe maybe say, "How do you like to be touched when you're in the heights of pleasure?" Like, "Oh, maybe it's a back and forth arrow right on the." the hood of the clitoris, or maybe it's like, Oh, put two fingers in here. Like you can actually share this information. Um, and then there's so many diagrams, anatomical diagrams of the internal structures of, of the female, uh, sexual genitalia. Um, the internal structure of the clitoris with the, there's two bulbs that guys don't know about. They just think it's the little bulb or the little knob that sticks out um, above the urethra, but it's not, there's a whole internal structure. Like if you peel back the, the skin, if you were to hypothetically peel back the skin of, of the vagina, what's underneath it is the clitoris, actually the erectile tissue of the clitoris. Um, and then there's the actual shape of the G spot. It's not a spot. It's a tube kind of like, a penis is actually a tube around the urethra. It's the same thing. It's erectile tissue in a tube around the urethra. If you learn that it could act, it's actually like one to two inches long and you can stroke the length of it, then you're empowered to touch it in a much more masterful way. Um, so what, what, I'm, what I'm teaching here is allyship um, between you and your partner. And, and I also teach guys a lot about menstruation. <laughs> so that they actually have a foundation in reality. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then they can show up as an ally to their partner rather than being thrown off, ba- off, off balance or um, disconcerted or lost by like, their, the things that their partner might be experiencing. Um, instead, they can show up in an empowered way to be supportive, which demonstrates that he understands her, which facilitates trust. And when she feels like he gets her, and can handle the fact that maybe she feels this way one day and another day she feels a different way and he can handle the reality of her, not some idealized fantasy of her, then what happens organically is trust and relaxation, which makes big opportunities in the bedroom. It's huge. These are the keys to the castle for like true soul level intimacy. <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's t- uh, the feedback is that, that I get is that, that each chapter is like a huge value punch that you're like, you just read it and bam, you, your life has changed. You're, you're more powerful, et cetera. It's not like you have to meditate 20 minutes a day to, or practice for an hour a day or something like that. Like huge power downloads really fast, like matrix style downloads. So it, it's meant to be more of like a how-to manual, really short and sweet, bam, to the punch. Like, okay, I got it. Boom. Big value. 
I just received and I'm, I'm upgraded now rather than like, Oh my God, this book that takes forever. I'm never going to get through it. It's too heady. It's just going to make you fall asleep. Like it's not like that at all. Like callings. That's an inch thick and it takes you a year. Yes. To get <laughs> exactly. Basically the opposite of callings. I mean, not the opposite, but, yep. um, yeah, I appreciate the, especially the, the anatomical information, but in a way that's practical, right? Yeah. So for example, what you said about the G spot is it's not just the G spot is a tube. It's also like, here's a way that you can stroke it. That feels really good. And here's a sexual position. That's going to be easier for her to move her body so that she can touch it. And I, I really also appreciate the, the attention on her cycle, because I know that I think when I think of old schooler, you know, relationships, quote unquote, from before, there's really not a lot of attention or consciousness around her cycle other than just to shame her like, oh, well, are you on the rag since you're being a bitch? That's it. It's just a sort of sexist (laughs) view of it. But I know multiple men who have, you know, I'm as a woman, I have my tracking app for where I am in my cycle. And I know men that are in relationships that also have a tracking app so that they have a sense of where she is because there are certain, a hundred percent, I have a cycle related things that happen. I get menstrual migraines. I have days when I'm very irritable or sad. And it is easier when it feels like someone I'm relating with isn't just, um, isn't just tolerating it. Right. But is actually present with me through that. Like that's a different experience than just being shamed for it. It, It's like, Knowing that the the days that your partner might be more sensitive, even just emotionally, seems like it would be, I don't know, that sounds like such a gift. Did you already know that when you got into your partnership or was that something that you learned through being in partnership? Oh God. I, when I grew up, I was surrounded by women. Um, I, I went to the convent of the sacred heart, which is traditionally only for girls, but out of the over 50 schools in the sacred heart network, there's two that happened to be for all genders. And I happened to go to one. So I was surrounded by all the sisters and the nuns and, and, and all the girls. And then I went to the school of education in Boston university, 90% women, you know, and my mother and all of her friends, just, I, I was raised in communities of women. So I grew up, they, they, they brought me up. Um, so I, I understand how women work. I understand how they think. I understand how they communicate. I understand how they bond. I understand how they fight. Like I get it. Um, so yeah, I came in, into adulthood, like, and my, and my mother, never, mother never hid anything from me. Like the reality of like, oh yeah, she was bleeding or the reality of, oh, she needed or decided to go get an abortion. Like I, I got the reality. Of, oh, she got an STD. Like what it is to be in this human body. Like, it's just my baseline is being in touch with the reality of being in these human bodies. Um, not some idealized narrative of what it means to be a woman. Um, so I had that to, to bring forward into my relationships with, but yeah, I got a period tracking app for sure. And there's something that I want to say about that. Like I recommend to guys get a period tracking app, mark it in there, read the pop-ups, learn about the different phases of the cycle, observe your partner, ask her, you know, how she tends to feel, or is there a pattern that she observes in herself and, and say, because I want to be an ally. I want to understand how to dance well with you. I don't want to be thrown off base and have a fight. Like, um, and, but, but the secret, the secret is, is like you have to genuinely want to know her and want to be in the dance. You could say of femininity air quotes. If you're just doing it as uh, something because Christopher Lovestone says so like, no, there, there's no authenticity in there. Like it's going to come out eventually in your resentment to her or something like that. But if you really, guys, I'm just going to talk to heterosexual guys here. If you really want to dance with a woman long-term, like then find it beautiful, right? And want to know the dance steps, right? And if you know that she gets bad cramps or she, she gets sensitive and like make her soup, get her a hot water bottle, say, Hey, you want to plan for like watching your favorite movies or show that night? Like, or do you want some time alone? Like whatever it might be. And then when she's feeling outgoing and vibrant and social and playful and fun, that's when you want to plan, plan the weekend away. That's when you want to make that date night. Yeah. You know, like work with it. And then she feels like, Oh my God, he actually gets me. He's not trying to put me in a box. 
that's so sexy. It's so bonding. Yeah. I think there's something, even just being asked the questions or knowing that his attention is on it is, is relaxing rather than I need to advocate for myself all the time. And there's no partnership in that. And it does remind me of sex actually of, you know, her advocating for herself because in, in my sex research, what I've seen again and again is it's really hard for a woman to speak up about, Hey, like that hurts a little bit, like that's too much or that's too much pressure or ow. Um, it's terrifying. It's terrifying to say that because I'm afraid he's going to shut down and he's going to get resistant or resentful or defensive. And so it's like, yes, there's a way that I think the expectation is, well, women should speak up. They should advocate for themselves. They should be able to communicate. They should, if something hurts, they should just say so. But the reality, like you said, the reality of living in these bodies and as emotional beings and empathetic beings, it's not that simple. And so the difference between that and a man who's asking, right, who's raising his hands and saying, I really want to know. I always want to know what feels good. I love, I love knowing what feels good. And and what doesn't and making it safe for her actively making it safe is a completely different. It's just a completely different thing. And the man that's actively asking and showing up to learn is going to be a much better lover. That, that man is going to be a much better lover versus a man who assumes he already knows everything and, and truly isn't open to feedback because there are plenty of men like that where they do get any kind of feedback and they just think she's difficult or they think she's unlike other women. Well, well, it was easy for my other, other partners to orgasm. Are you sure? Because I'm looking at the data and 65 to 75% of women have reported faking it. Are you sure they were coming? Is that really what was happening? And I think that for a lot of those men, they're so scared of hearing the actual answers that they're not asking. Or they're assuming she's enjoying it as much as I am. I'm experiencing pleasure, so she must be experiencing pleasure, which is, according to the research, not the case. So I like that the, it sounds like your book combines the sort of, here are things you need to know, right, anatomically that are simple and right to the point, and also engaging. There's that word again of engaging your partner around her body and her pleasure and her desires because everyone, we all have the same apparatuses, but they're all slightly different, a little bit like cars, right? All cars are generally have the same parts, but they're, they're all slightly different. One pulls to the left one, you know, is acts weird when it goes in reverse, like everyone is slightly different. And I like, you know, that, that idea of even the, the list and going through and just comparing might be things you've never talked about, but you as a man taking the lead right? Bringing that list to your partner, even just that I would feel relaxed, like, oh, okay, good. I don't have to figure it all out or be, or be leading here. He's got his attention on it too. You know, there's this very simple practice that creates an entire perspective shift. It's a simple question. How can we make this feel better? Or if something feels good, how could we make this feel even better? And Inherent in that simple question is a whole paradigm shift of coming into the present moment, which you could say is mindfulness, which you could say is engagement, which you could say is improvisation. Instead of thinking you got it all figured out, it's shifting into embracing what I consider a reality, which is that we're all always changing. Now there's the stereotypical men are the sun and they're always the same shining consistently and women are the moon. They're always changing. There's that stereotype, um, but it can be useful to think about a stereotype. So maybe guys don't change as much. They think that they're more steadfast and unchanging. Well, that's not technically true. Like we're born before puberty. We don't have much testosterone. We change when puberty hits and we've got tons of testosterone. It's a freaking rocket ship ride. Good luck hanging on for the ride. And then as we go through our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, we have declining testosterone. And our, 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 our ability to get aroused changes you know, our ability to get erections changes, our desire levels, our erotic profile changes. We do change. So it's false to think that we don't. But what I teach with this concept of how could we make this even more pleasurable is checking in, making a practice of being in the present moment. And part of that is 
not assuming that what your partner likes today is going to be the same thing that she liked yesterday. What she likes in this minute might not be the same thing that she liked two minutes ago because her arousal profile is changing, right? So I teach this simple skill that takes practice of being attuned, of being engaged, of listening, of looking for the cues, soliciting them in words if you can't get a clear body signal, et cetera. And then by learning this act of engagement, of being an engaged dance partner, like you can create the most profound states of connectivity, um, uh, bliss, uh, connection, attachment, uh, understanding, sexual pleasure, et cetera. Like you, you, doors open to new worlds in your sexual and erotic landscape with each other because you're so in tune with what's happening. And then when a big unfoldment happens, you're there. You're the one who's there holding her hand through it. Like you get the benefits of it. Um, so you never know this angle today of penetration side style, doggy style, whatever it might be like, tomorrow could hurt, you know? So, so pick up how is it, is this okay? How can we make, how can we make this even better? Or like, just try a different position and see how our body responds. Like it, that is demonstrating caring about how she experiences you, right? Oh, that's sexy. <laughs> you know, you know yeah. who, who cares about somebody who doesn't care about them? Like if, if you don't care about me, why am I going to do things for you? If you mm -hmm. demonstrate that you don't have regard for my feelings and your impact on me, why would I continue to invest? Yeah, I really like that. I think that that's definitely also related to the, the cycle discussion, because I definitely noticed that sex feels different over the course of my cycle and that there are certain times when just everything is more sensitive or the penetration that I liked before now is like a little bit painful. And I sometimes will... I will sometimes not speak up because I assume this will be confusing for my male partner that it, it's like, well, this worked really well the other night. I don't understand why tonight it's not working. And so I have suffered physically to avoid a conversation I thought might trigger him. And I don't think that I'm alone in that in, in sexuality. So I think that's also just a good thing for men who have sex with women to know is that sometimes I think we're afraid that you'll, you'll find us confusing. And so we, quote unquote, protect, try to protect you from our changes um, instead of necessarily speaking up so that how could this be even better or what would feel even better now is a great simple way of actually, yeah, if we can maybe change or like just a little bit less, just a little bit less would be great is, is I think high quality masculine leadership of eliciting, eliciting her share instead of assuming she will advocate for herself if something's going on. Yeah. There's so much there. It's such a rich topic. You know, there's a simple term you can say, let's shift. Let's shift. Let's, let's just do something else. Who knows what it's going to be, but let's shift. Let's try something else. Um, that, that's easy to say. Let's shift. Um, but also for guys to actually learn the internal anatomy uh, of, of what happens um, during the menstrual cycle with the cervix moving up or moving down uh, and what happens to the position of the cervix at different stages of arousal. If you can, you can learn this technical information. It's not that hard. And then you get it that, oh yeah, right. I might be dinging, banging her cervix in this one position or hitting an ovary and that's not going to feel good. Now, if a guy has ever had a prostate exam, he understands what it's like to have this sensitive internal organ touched. Now, generally speaking, doctors are trained not to touch it too hard, but still they want to go in, get it done and get out. They don't want it to be a sexual thing. They get in, touch it, palpate it. Is it soft? Is it hard? Is it big? Is it small? And get out. And that can leave the guy feeling sore for a day afterwards. Like I, so I tell guys that can give you a kind of a reference point, a starting point to understand what it might be like for her to get her cervix pounded. You don't want to have that pain. You don't. And it's not all about what you see in porn. It's not all about these jackhammers and jackrabbits and pile drivers. That's unrealistic. That is acting. That is not actually touching a woman the way that she, her, her, her physiology likes to be touched, except in certain states of arousal. But in all the other states of arousal, there's a different way. And you got to learn what she likes. You talk with her. Maybe it's, it's, it's oral sex. Maybe it's like light touching. Maybe it's caressing. Maybe it's circles. Maybe it's massage. But that deep pounding doesn't tend to be the thing that stimulates her nerves in the way that they want to be stimulated the majority of the time. 
doggy style can feel really, really good sometimes. Really amazing. Yes. Harder, deeper, longer. Yes, please. And at other times it can be like, fuck, no, I don't want that at all. So like if you elicit that information from her and then learn to read her cues, the landscape changes where you become such a more masterful lover. So it's, it's getting rid of this concept that we know everything that we need to know and that, that, that we don't need to ask for directions and replacing it with this spirit of improvisation and engagement where like, what, what's best for you right now? How can we make this even better? And yeah, I learn- think that's, yep. that's the difference between, I think the model that has been presented to men of you should already know how to do this. I hear that from clients a lot of feeling embarrassed or feeling reticent about asking and eliciting her, her truth sexually, because they feel like I should already know how to do this. I should already be good at this. There's a way to do this. And if I don't know how to do it, that means there's something wrong when in reality, it's the opposite. And I think that porn is a great example of a place that reinforces that belief because I'm a woman who consumes porn. I've never in a single video ever seen a man asking, how's this pressure? There's there's no modeling of eliciting feedback or leading that in porn. It's just, he does things. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, not, it's not what we're talking about here. And I think there's also a perception that, oh, what he's doing is working because she's res- quote unquote responding. So I think that's the, it's a little bit almost like for anyone that's been a manager, it's a little bit like managing where you think you should be good at it. You think you should know. And so there's not a lot of, uh, the, the orientation is not, you know, how's this working for you? What could be better about our working relationship? Are my instructions clear enough? You know, working together with the person you're managing, I think is only in the last 20 years become much more present in the workplace. But I think the orientation is the same of assuming, oh, my employees will speak up if something isn't working. I don't need to be proactive about inviting their truth. Of course you do. Of course you do because you're you're in the power position. They're, they're going to be afraid. So it's a similar thing of being not just being open to feedback, but eliciting feedback. It's a different thing. Being proactive about that versus responsive, it's a different thing. And it's it's where you you can fine tune your presence, whether that's sexually or in leadership. If you're eliciting responses, if you're con- you sort of have a growth mindset, you're going to become a lot better at whatever it is you do because you get the little course corrections all the time instead of no one's telling you anything. And then there's a big blow up because you haven't gotten any feedback along the way. You're talking about the cure for chauvinism. That's what you're talking about. I, 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 <laughs> Curiosity is the cure for chauvinism. If you can change to an attitude of curiosity, letting go of, oh, I know best, I've got it all figured out. And instead say, I don't know what I don't know. Like what do you, do you, if, if you're wanting to learn welding, do you think, oh, I should know this already? If you never went to welding class or, or you want to repair an engine? I mean, you want to learn surgery? I mean, no, you would never think that. Of course you have to go for training. What do we? What, what, what is our training model? Hollywood movies, Pixar animations, <laughs> Disney. Yeah. I mean, porn. <laughs> These are unrealistic, stylized representations. They're not real. Go to a relationship skills class. Get a coach and talk to them, or go to a therapist. Then you get real world training, or find somebody who has, that has a relationship that you look at and you're like, "Wow, I want a relationship like them," and ask them questions. That old couple that's still together and is still flirting with each other, go ask them some questions. Don't <laughs> it's a, go to the people who are successful, who know this stuff, who study these things, who spend years learning the techniques. The nuances can make huge dif- <laughs> differences for you. Pardon me, I'm going to cough. Yeah. Yeah. So, speaking of mentorship, I would love to know where people can find your book and, um, where they can find you if they're interested. Thank you. Um, Cause I've been like, if you search me on Amazon, you won't find me cause I'm um, censored in the search results. Although my book is for sale on Amazon, I don't come up in the search results. So anyway, if you go to my website, consciouscock.com, <laughs> then you can get to the book. Um, and there's tons of free downloads on there. Like the yes, no, maybe worksheet is a free download. If you want to just go grab that. Um, and there's tons of other things on there to help people to make huge improvements in their relationship immediately. 
just simple tools and stuff like that. And from there, you can get to all my social media profiles and stuff like that. Perfect. And I think that that the the book, it sounds like, would be helpful whether you're in a relationship right now or not. And frankly, as a woman, I, I think I think it's also valuable. And I've gotten this feedback from women as well of, I don't know about my G-spot. Not really. I don't, you know, it's, it's something I've thought about often is I don't finger myself. I don't engage in a lot of penetrative masturbation. Most of my masturbation is just with the clitoris. So there's a way that when it comes to digital penetration, I'm like, oh, I, that's a thing I only do with lovers. It's not a thing that I do with myself. So there's things about my anatomy that I don't don't know yet. So I think a book like this would be helpful for for both sexes as well. Oh, absolutely. It's about allyship and exploration. It totally is. You know, then, then, then you've got a teammate, a friend that you're exploring the wonderful world of your relationship with rather than like going alone in the dark to try to figure out how to win with your partner. <laughs> That's so yeah. true. <laughs> going alone in the dark to try to figure out how to win with your partner. <laughs> Basically our current paradigm. Yeah. So yeah, we'll shift it together. Hey guys, we talked a little bit about mentorship on this episode and I wanted to make sure that you know that you can go deeper than the podcast if you want to. Jason, my co-coach and I have a free training set up for you if you are interested and that is at evolutionary.men slash training. It's a free hour long training and I encourage you to check it out if you want to go deeper. Thanks. Thanks. 